Good morning. Um, welcome. Uh, this morning I'll be uh, sharing out of uh, James. And uh, beforehand, before Sunday school class, we were back in the office praying, and uh, uh, Bill uh, made the comment of uh, first being convicted by the message yourself. And uh, as I was thinking back on that, it's like every message so far that I've uh, had the privilege of uh, delivering from James here has uh, been very uh, convicting uh, to me. Uh, the first one we were, I was talking about the the use of our tongue, you know, and the and gossip and slander, and uh, you know, of course, uh, guilty. And then uh, the last time uh, we were in here was. Uh, first six verses of chapter five and it was uh, speaking to the rich and uh, that realization that uh, I am I am rich I have more than I need and uh, am I guilty of uh, hoarding uh, and uh, not trusting in God and uh, today is another one that's uh, very convicting and I think uh, uh, very uh, pertinent to our body here, and it's uh, patience in suffering. Um, you know, we uh, don't need, <laughs> you know, we we know what that is like in our body here as of, as of late, uh, the amount of uh, sufferings that we've gone through. So, uh, we're going to be discussing James chapter 5, verses uh, 7 to 12. So let's open in prayer, and we'll begin. Uh, Father, I just uh, thank you and praise you for this time to come into your presence in a special way as a, as a body in Christ. And Lord, that uh, we can come together and uh, sing our songs of praise and worship, that we can uh, honor you and, and glorify you without fear, Lord. Uh, we don't have to worry about the persecutions and uh, uh, things which uh, were so prevalent in the early church and even today around the world. And uh, Lord, we praise you for that. And uh, we praise you, Lord, uh, because, Lord, we know we are not deserving. It is only a grace of yours, a mercy of yours that we are able to enjoy uh, these freedoms that we have here. And Lord, I just ask that you would uh, be with us now as we delve into your word, that you would make it alive to us, Lord, that you would open it to our understandings, that you would uh, uh, bring uh, conviction of sin in our lives and correction. And Lord, that you would uh, teach us, that you would help us to better understand you, that you would draw us into a closer relationship with you. In Jesus Christ's holy name, amen. Okay, uh, James chapter 5, verses uh, 7 through 12, and I'll read that for us. It says, Therefore, be patient, brethren, until the coming of the Lord. The farmer waits for the precious produce of the soil, being patient about it until it gets the early and late rains. You too, be patient, strengthen your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is near. Do not complain, brethren, against one another, 
so that you yourselves may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing right at the door. As an example, brethren, of suffering and patience, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. We count those blessed who endured. You have heard of the endurance of Job and have seen the outcome of the Lord's dealings, that the Lord is full of compassion and is merciful. But above all, my brethren, do not swear either by heaven or by earth or with any other oath, but your yes is to be yes and your no, no, so that you may not fall under judgment. So, we all have trials, don't we? Uh, None of us escapes that. Uh, Job chapter 5 says, Man is born for trouble as sparks fly upward. Uh, Again, in John 16, verse 33, it says, In the world you have tribulation. Acts 14, 22 says, Through many tribulations we must enter the kingdom of God. And then in Romans 8 and 17 through 18, it speaks of suffering for with Christ and the sufferings of this present time. So, you know, as I alluded to earlier, our body here at Parks is very familiar with trials and sufferings, aren't we? And we don't need to be reminded of that. But today we're going to look at how we are to face those trials. We'll be looking at the importance of patience and endurance in the face of sufferings. This uh, first part there of verse 7 says, Therefore, and it looks back to the first six verses of chapter 5, and we've seen there in those previous six verses that James gave a strong message of judgment to the wealthy who had given themselves um, to the pursuit of riches and self-centered living. He condemned them for hoarding wealth in the last days and for acquiring that wealth by the abuse of others. The believers to whom James wrote had evidently suffered in this way. So in verses uh, 1 to 6, James condemns the wicked wealthy. And in these verses we'll be looking at today, verses 7 to 12, he tells those being persecuted what kind of attitude they are to have. They are to patiently endure. This word, uh, be patient, what does that mean? It's a Greek word, and I don't know if I can pronounce it correctly, but it's makrothumisate, and it literally means long-tempered. Okay? It denotes an attitude of self-restraint, which keeps a person from a hasty retaliation. It has the idea of being long-suffering with people. In verse 6 there, what does it say? It says, you have condemned and put to death the righteous man. He does not resist you. So, the righteous man does not resist you, referring to the wicked oppressors. The child of God is to be patient. They don't resist, retaliate, or seek vengeance. Uh, The term brethren, this term is used uh, four times in this passage. And by the use of that term, we know he is referring to believers. And as believers, it infers that we are capable of being patient because of faith in Christ and an indwelling Holy Spirit. You know, it's not easy, is it? It's not easy 
uh, to be patient. It is a growth process, but being patient is something that true Christians are capable of. It's something that we need to work on, and we'll be looking at how to do those things. So if we're always full of anger and bitterness and vengeance all the time, you know, there's reason to question our relationship with Christ. We need to look at ourselves, you know. Are we, you know, obviously either real uh, young in the Lord or possibility may be that we don't know the Lord. So, you know, we need to look at that. You know, we can look at our situations at, you know, our jobs, school. You know, we can be harassed for being a Christian, can't we? You know, at work, uh, we can be mocked for, for standing for the Lord or at school, you students can be mocked when you gather at the flagpole to pray or whatever. And uh, it's uh, not easy to not want to retaliate, is it? So, patience is enduring someone who is mistreating you and not being angry or full of vengeance. It's being slow to anger. Uh, Proverbs 15, verse 18 says, A hot-tempered man stirs up strife. But the slow to anger calms a dispute. And in Proverbs 16, verse 32, it says, He who is slow to anger is better than the mighty, and he who rules his spirit than he who captures the city. You know, I've, uh, again, you know, I work at uh, Nevada Cement, and uh, it's a lot of, you know, it's, it's hard work and uh, physical, uh, demanding, and, you know, there's a, a lot of these situations that I see, you know, there's uh, people there that do, it seems like they're not happy if they're not stirring up strife. You know, they seem to get their enjoyment of that out of that. So, and we also see, you know, referring to patience that God is patient, isn't He? So, Second Peter chapter three verse fifteen says. And regard the patience of our Lord as salvation. You know, He's patient with us, isn't He? Waiting for us to turn to Him. In Exodus 34, verse 6, and Psalm 134, 103, Psalm 103, verse 8, speaks of God as being slow to anger and full of compassion. So if God can be patient with us, so we can be patient with those who abuse us until God acts on our behalf. Hebrews 10 Verse 30 says what? It says, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, saith the Lord. You know, that's hard to, to do, isn't it? You know, we want justice. We want it now <laughs> instead of just waiting on the Lord to let Him act in our behalf. So, how can we be patient? It says there, Therefore, brethren, therefore be patient, brethren, until the coming of the Lord. So we can anticipate the Lord's coming. You know, we can tell ourselves it won't always be like this. We are to be patient until we are with the Lord. You know, that could be a long time, couldn't it? It could be a short time. It could be tomorrow we'd be with the Lord. Or it could be, you know, way down the road. But we're to be patient until we will be, are with the Lord. We'll not be here forever we're going, you know, to a better land, a better place, a city. We're going to a city whose builder and maker is God. Now, Romans chapter 8, verse 18 says this, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time 
are not worthy to be compared with the glory that is to be revealed to us. And 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 17 says, For momentary light affliction is producing for us an eternal weight of glory far beyond all comparison. So, you know, we live to see Him. That's our hope in suffering. And, you know, as we have more suffering, we look forward to that, don't we? To being with Him. You know, it kind of intensifies that that desire, that longing to be with the Lord. Next, he gives here the farmer, the example of the farmer. It says, The farmer waits for the precious produce of the soil, being patient about it until it gets the early and late rains. So the farmer is an example of one whose patience is rewarded at the proper time. Uh, He depends on God for the early and late rains. He waits for the valuable crop. Uh, Christ is coming, and like the farmer who patiently waits for his crop, we must wait also for the precious reward. You know, we look forward to the coming of the Lord, and he is bringing with him his reward. In Galatians uh, 6, verse 9 says, Let us not lose heart in doing good, for in due time we will reap if we do not grow weary. So there's lots of... uh, Scripture passages that encourage us to, you know, don't lose heart in doing good, for in due time we will reap if we do not grow weary. And in verse 8, you know, it says, You too be patient. Strengthen your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is near. It says, You too be patient. So, you know, like the example of the farmer, how, you know, how are we to be patient? Well, strengthen your hearts. Uh, be resolute. You know, or have an attitude of firm courage, an attitude of commitment to move forward no matter what the trials, because the coming of the Lord is near. And as we commit, the Lord helps us and He enables us through the Holy Spirit. You know, we commit to that. We commit to move forward in our circumstances. You know, a lot of times we can look at our circumstances and get discouraged, but we can, you know, if we look back and remember, well, the Lord brought me through this, or the Lord's promises are. Or this, you know, I will never leave you nor forsake you. We commit to move forward in those circumstances. First Thessalonians chapter three verse thirteen says, So that he may establish your hearts without blame and holiness before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus with all his saints. And first Peter five verse ten, after you have suffered for a little while, the God of all grace who called you to his eternal glory in Christ will himself perfect, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. So, you know, we're to be patient like the farmer. We're to strengthen our hearts. And we commit and move forward. But God is there with us. He is there strengthening us, encouraging us. He's doing that work there. Um, and it says, The coming of the Lord is near. Well, how soon? You know, the return of Christ is the next event, and he could come at any moment. But, you know, people might say, well, well, that's been 2,000 years, right? Well, but God, but for God, you know, what is time? One day for God is 1,000 years, and 1,000 years is one day. So God is patient, not wanting any to perish. We see that in Second Peter 3, 8 and 9. So for God, it's only been a couple of days. 
So, you know, ever since the first coming to the second, you know, the second coming has been imminent. It's the next event on God's clock. You know, that's the next event. So every Christian since the time of Christ has lived in the light of the fact that Christ could come at any moment. That expectancy should change our behavior. You know, do we do we have that expectancy? Do you know? You know, I remember when I first became a Christian, you know, there was a lot of books out, the late great planet Earth and different things. And, you know, there was that uh, thought, you know, that at any moment Christ could come. But, you know, that should be our thought every day. We're to be patient until the Lord's coming. You know, that thought, that moment that at any instant we could be in his presence. So, you know, we need to have that expectation, that thought. And that will help us to be patient. You know, knowing that, you know, tomorrow I could be in his presence. It's going to change how you look at things, change how you live, change how you act. So, why does he delay? Well, Romans 11, verse 25 says, The fullness of the Gentiles has not come in. So he has been, in Second in Peter 3, verses 8 and 9, it says, He is being patient, not wishing for any to perish, but for all to come to repentance. So, you know... He is patient. He is long-suffering. He is waiting. You know, there is more to come. And uh, it says the fullness of the Gentiles is not coming. We need to be actively involved in that. We need to be out there sharing. We don't know who is going to, you know, come to the Lord in saving faith. And in verse 9, he says there, uh, do not complain, you know. So when we experience... Uh, uh, it says, Do not complain, brethren, against one another, so that you yourselves made out to be judged. Behold, the judge is standing right at the door. And it says, you know, when when we experience prolonged pressure and difficulty, you know, there is always the uh, danger of becoming irritable with those around us. You know, we begin to find fault with them, don't we? Um, and that word, uh, complain, it's uh, another Greek word here is stenosate. I don't know if I'm pronouncing it correctly or not. But anyway, inner, it's a, it means an inner feeling of dissatisfaction or bitterness that may be expressed as grumbling or complaining against others. So, and in this term against one another, it's referring to other believers. You know, other believers, they become the object of our discontent, even when our problems are not their fault. Uh, this complaining renders us guilty of disobedience, and what does it say? So that you yourselves do not complain, brethren, against one another, so that you yourselves may not be judged. So, and subject to judgment. And it says the nearness, you know, it says the judge is standing right at the door. Okay? Again, that thought of that, you know, imminent return of Christ. And he says the nearness of the coming of Christ as the judge should keep us from such activity. 2 Corinthians 5.10 says what? It says, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each one may be recompensed for his deeds in the body, according to what he has done, whether good or bad. So, there's the hope. Hope of his coming, and then there will be the fear of his judgment. That helps us to be patient. You know, it's the coming of Christ to be in his presence, and then it's the fear 
of, of the judgment. And for Christians here, it's not talking about loss of salvation. We're talking about loss of rewards because of sinful responses to our trials. Okay? It's not loss of salvation here. So, in the next uh, uh, verse here, in verse 10, he says, As an example, brethren, of suffering and patience, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. So, the prophets here, there are... are uh, Offered as an example of those who were patient through suffering. Uh, they spoke in the name of the Lord. They were God's spokesmen. And their ministry was carried out in the context of suffering. If they had not been patient in their suffering, they would not have been able to be used by God as they were. You know, in Acts chapter 7, this is uh, Stephen speaking, he, in verse 52, he says, Which of the prophets did your fathers not persecute. They killed those who had previously announced the coming of the righteous one, whose betrayers and murderers you have now become. You know, he spoke out and he's proclaiming. And uh, you know what happened? They stoned him right there. They killed him. Uh, Consider Moses, who endured a stubborn and stiff-necked people. Uh, David, you know, what was David? He was hunted by Saul continually, let, yet he trusted God and he wrote many psalms regarding God's saving power. What about Elijah? You know, he had that great victory over the prophets of Baal. Baal and, uh, and then shortly thereafter, his life was sought by Ahab and Jezebel and he fled. Uh, what about Jeremiah? often called the, the uh, weeping prophet. And he was put in stocks. In Jeremiah, we'll see that in Jeremiah chapter 20, verse 2. He was thrown into prison, Jeremiah 32, verse 2. And he was lowered into a miry dungeon. We'll see that in Jeremiah 38, verse 6. Yet, you know, how did Jeremiah respond to that? Let's look at that. It's uh, Lamentations 3, verse 39. And this is Jeremiah. He says, Lamentations, chapter 3, verse 39. says, Why should any living mortal or any man offer complaint in view of his sins? You know, uh, there's uh, an example of, you know, how sometimes we uh, get our perspectives uh, wrong, don't we? Um, in our Sunday school class, we were, you know, I just, as we were, Discussing this morning, I was thinking about this first, and I knew I was going to be sharing it. And, uh, you know, talking about uh, sometimes how uh, we take Scripture and, uh, out of context and take it to mean that we shouldn't fellowship uh, with uh, the lost or sinners. But, you know, as you uh, come to know yourself better, you know, and here's, here's Jeremiah. And he's a prophet of God. And he says, why should any living mortal or any man offer complaint in view of his sins? You know, in other words, he, he saw who he was. And, uh, you know, as we, you know, Paul, as he was uh, uh, 
through his letters, you could see, you know, what did he say of himself? He says, I'm the chief of sinners. You know, and as I'm, you know, reading and studying the Bible, and we're at a men's Bible study on Monday nights, we read through the Scripture two chapters a day. And uh, and then we just keep going. And uh, so we've been through maybe three or four times since I've been involved. But, you know, you really start to see who you are as you get into God's Word. You see who you are before a holy God. And then, you know, how can we look at others with uh, anything but love and compassion and concern? Because we're just like them. You know, the only thing is they're not in a saving relationship with Christ. They're still caught in their sin. And uh, so it's like, you know, sometimes I think we can uh, get too high of a of an opinion of ourselves that uh, somehow we deserve these blessings that we've done some righteous act or whatever that uh, entitles us to these blessings you know yes they're a blessing from god but it's pure grace and you know in mercy in other words if we got what we deserved you know we would be in hell you know we wouldn't be in a right relationship with god and that's the thing there is the you know Look at the lost with that sense of compassion. You know, that we're just like them. The only thing is, the difference is we're in a saving relationship with Christ. So, uh, interesting observation there from Jeremiah and how he responded patiently to his trials. You know, why can I complain in view of my sins? Uh, Daniel, as uh, Chris mentioned in his message, you know, he was deported, he's put in a lion's den, you know, and uh, never went home. And John the Baptist, he was uh, beheaded for the word of God. And then let's look at Hebrews 11, starting in verse 32, for more examples of uh, prophets who patiently endured sufferings. And he says, And what more shall I say? For time will fail me if I tell of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, of David, and Samuel, and the prophets, who by faith conquered kingdoms, performed acts of righteousness, obtained promises, shut the mouths of lions, quenched the power of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, from weakness were made strong, became mighty in war, put foreign armies to flight. Women received back their dead by resurrection, and others were tortured, not accepting their release so that they might obtain a better resurrection. And others experienced mockings and scourgings, yet, yes, also chains and imprisonment. They were stoned, they were sawn in two, they were tempted, they were put to death with the sword. They went about in sheepskins and goatskins, being destitute, afflicted, ill-treated, men of whom the world was not worthy, wandering in deserts and mountains and caves and holes in the ground. And then in chapter 12, verses 1 to 4, it says, Therefore, since we have so great a cloud of witnesses surrounding us, 
Let us lay aside every encumbrance and the sin which so easily entangles us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. For consider him who has endured such hostilities by sinners against him, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. You have not yet resisted the point of shedding blood in your striving against sin. So, as, you know, we can look to the prophets and, uh, you know, look at their example, look what they went to, and then look at our lives. And our trials, our sufferings tend to become small, don't they? So it's easy to lose sight of the fact that our greatest ministries are often carried out in the face of our greatest difficulties. Uh, We become so absorbed in the trial and in wanting God to remove us from the difficulty that we sacrifice the greatest opportunity for ministry. And in verse 11 there it says, we count those, back to James chapter 5, it says, we count those blessed who endured. Um, In facing trials with uh, patience and in understanding the Lord's blessing, uh, blessing. So endured uh, uh, refers to uh, abiding under difficulties, difficult circumstances. So the prophets who endured are considered to have been specially blessed by God. Um, in the next part there it says, um, You have heard of the endurance of Job and have seen the outcome of the Lord's dealings. So in facing uh, trials with patience, we need to realize the Lord's purpose. Uh, God had a purpose. God has a purpose in your trial and your sufferings. Uh, Job, he lost everything he had, including his children. His wife, what she tell him? She'll curse God and die. And Job's response was, Though he slay me, yet I will trust him. And again, he said, the Lord gave, the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. So Job is an example of one who endured. He endured. And what did he say there at the end? He said, I had heard of you with the hearing of my ear, and now my eye sees you, and I repent in dust and ashes. Job, in his bad times, now what? He sees God more clearly. What was God's purpose uh, with Job? Well, his purpose was to test his faith. It was to demonstrate to Satan that there was a man with true faith. It was to help God. It was to help Job to know God better, and to bless him more than he was ever blessed before. So when we go through trials, that helps us to, you know, that example of Job helps us to remember that God has a greater purpose for us, a greater blessing. And why do we see that? Romans 8.28, what does it say? And we know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God. So, and then the final part there in verse 11, it says, And the Lord is full of compassion and merciful. So patience comes when we have a better understanding of the Lord's character, too. Uh, remembering that God is compassionate 
and merciful, being, brings comfort in our sufferings. You know, we look at God, we look at who He is, we see His mercies to us in the past, we see His compassion toward us, we see His blessings. You know, it helps us to remember, you know, by learning more of God. Um, the, the homestead, we're going through a study on the names of God, and as we've been looking at the different names, we, you know, we see what He is. He's our healer, He's our provider, He's our shepherd. You know, He looks out for us, okay? So he, he's full of compassion and mercy. And uh, as he kind of come to the part of this section here, you know, we can sum it up like this, you know. So uh, patience in any trial comes when we anticipate the Lord's coming and live in the light of that. Uh, patience comes when we recognize the Lord's judgment and live in the fear of that. And patience comes when we follow the Lord's servants and live in the pattern of that. Patience comes when we understand the Lord's blessing, that he wants to bless us and we can be counted happy if we endure. Patience comes when we realize the Lord's purpose. He's doing something to us. He's perfecting us. He's getting ready to do greater things for us. It comes when we remember the Lord's character, that He's compassionate and merciful. He understands, and He will never let you have more than you can bear. You know, a lot of times we go some, through some pretty severe trials, don't we? And we think it's more than we can bear, but, you know, if you're in them, God knows you can bear them. And God's there to help you. He'll, he'll help you through it. And... Finally, in verse 12 there, it says, But above all, my brethren, do not swear either by heaven or by earth or with any other oath, but let but your yes is to be yes and your no, no, so that you may not fall under judgment. So, for those who uh, truly demonstrate the persistence and patience prescribed for believers, there is no need to invoke an oath. Uh, whether by heaven or by earth, that their word is certain. So, you know, and this here is referring to the light, you know, casual use of oaths in informal conversation, not the formal oaths in such places as courts of law. You know, uh, God Himself in in one ten verse Psalm 10, Psalm one ten verse four is said to have taken an oath. And Paul sometimes called God to witness uh, in Second Corinthians one twenty one and. Galatians 1.20. So rather than employing an oath to convince people that a statement is true, the Christian should let his yes be yes and his no be no. should be honest in all his speech so that when he makes an affirmation or denial or when he says, you know, this is true or this is not, people will know it is unquestionably the truth. So in the careless and also in the careless use of oaths, um, a person is in danger of taking God's name in vain for which he will come under judgment. Exodus 20, verse 7. It's in the Ten Commandments. That, you know, we, he who takes the Lord's name in vain will by no means be uh, held guiltless. So the word of the Lord should be totally trustworthy. If everything we say needs to be established by an oath, it's an indication that our general speech is unreliable, that we are liars and our words are a reflection of our character 
and as such should be a manifestation of godliness in our lives as believers. That, uh, you know, just again, some uh, examples from my life in the workplace. Uh, you know, in the lunch lunchroom, they get into conversations and sometimes they'll walk in and, you know, one person will tell the other person, hey, the boss wants to talk to you. Or uh, then they'll go in there and come. And so, well, then the next time it's, hey, the boss, no. Well, really, I swear, really, honest, you know. <laughs> so, you know, where did, why is that? You know, it, well, we naturally don't trust people, do we? Especially ones that you see in their lives, these kind of evidences. So there's... You know, at work, there's always rumors get started. You know, always tell them, I says, well, until I, you know, see the thing actually happening, you know, we, we don't know if that's right or not. And uh, just the one time this guy came in and says, hey, we got to go to work, come on, and then went around the corner. Well, the guy thought he was just standing there hiding. And uh, the guy's sitting down from the table and told him, no, he really left. And, and, uh, and then, oh, really, honest, you know. <laughs> and the guy wouldn't believe him. And then he finally looks at me, and he says, Dell, is he standing over there? What? No, he's not. And then he left. <laughs> so, you know, just by way of saying, you know, not to say I'm anything great or nothing, but, uh, you know, our lives should be lived before people in such a way that, you know, when you say something, they know you're truthful. They know you're honest. And uh, you're trustworthy. And, uh, you know, it's the same with God. Uh, we can look at our lives. We can look at situations that have, that have happened in our lives and uh, remember the things which God has done and know that we, have, uh, we can uh, be trusting. And, uh, you know, I shared last week at prayer time that uh, scripture in uh, Luke chapter 8 and it's where the disciples and, and Christ were in the boat, and the storm had come, and uh, there was a great, you know, and Christ was asleep, and they were fearful, weren't they? They were fearful of of death. They were looking at their circumstances, their situations, and uh, ran to Christ and said, "Lord, Lord, do you not care? We're perishing." And he gets up, and he rebukes the storm, and and everything's calm, and and he and he looks at them, and what did he say? You know, he says. Where is your faith? And, uh, you know, that's uh, uh, something that's been really uh, speaking to me lately. You know, where is your faith? You know, and the same thing here. Where is your patience? You know, how do we have that? Well, we remember the things that God has done. You know, the disciples here, if they would have remembered, you know, they've seen Christ's miracles. They saw his miracles. They... uh, seen what he saw what he could do and uh you know but they didn't remember that they were concentrated on the immediate situation the waves and uh you know forgot and you know faith is uh you know it's a gift you know faith is a gift from god through the holy spirit that enables us to believe in christ but that you know we need to distinguish between that original gift of faith and the walk of faith or the life of faith that follows you know, just, you know, like we have that gift of faith that enables us to believe. But then we have the walk of faith. We need to talk to ourselves. 
You know, like David said, oh, my soul, why are you, you know, why are you restless? Why are you disquieted? You know, we talk to ourselves. We remind ourselves of the truths of God. We remind ourselves of what God has done for us in the past. You know, and, you know, so, you know, he, we have to, you know, walk by faith, not by sight. That we can remind ourselves of what God has done. And, you know, a lot of times we can be like those disciples, you know, we can be fearful in our circumstances. And, you know, what that does is infers a lack of trust and confidence in Christ. You know, because storms and trials are allowed by God, aren't they? They're to test our faith. And we're to look to God. We're to remember what he's done for us. Um, you know, faith doesn't act automatically. Uh, being patient doesn't act automatically. We have to exercise it. You know, take your faith and apply it uh, to your situation. Uh, you know, like I said, remember what the Lord's done and what he will do. You know, and it starts from the truth of God's word. So that's why it's important that we know God's word. We put those truths in our mind so we can call it to our remembrance. You know, yes, we can see the waves. We can see the trials. We can see the sufferings. But God but the Lord Jesus Christ. So, and, you know, faith, you know, it starts somewhere. And it could be small. It says even faith the size of a mustard seed, doesn't it? You know, the disciples' faith was weak. But what did they do? They still fled to Christ and he saved them. You know, so we can, we can mess up. We can get impatient. But we can flee to Christ and save him. Or be saved by him. And uh, just uh, one uh, other illustration that I was listening to a speaker on the Pilgrim Radio. And he was talking about Abraham. And, uh, you know, when God called Abraham, you know, he called him uh, from a land, uh, in an, uh, it was an idolatrous land. And he called him, and he just went in obedience. He left, he went. And then, you know, he, God is uh, dealing with him in his, in his life in different stages and different events. And, and uh, anyway, when uh, God came down to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah, you know, Abraham had questions, didn't he? He's, you know, he says, well, why or what? He says, well, if there's even so many righteous, you're going to do it. You know, and he gets down to, well, if there's even... Ten righteous, you know, but he didn't go down to one righteous because he he knew there wasn't. But but anyway, there's the the situation there where Abraham was was questioning, asking God. But then, after the birth of his son Isaac, and it doesn't say how old Isaac was, but God asked him, says Abraham, take your son, your only son Isaac, go to this place and sacrifice him. He didn't question. He just went, you know. And, you know, God had proven himself faithful. God had proven himself true. He just went without a question. And, you know, God, he says, and and his faith was demonstrated. You know, when he got there, he told the servants, I and the ladder going over there. We'll be back, you know. He didn't know how, but he knew God was going to provide. So, you know, as we have these trials, these uh, sufferings, 
You know, we don't always respond in the right way, do we? But, you know, we have these examples of, of the disciples. You know, you know, we respond in a way that is weak. But, you know, we also have to see from the life of Abraham, it's a progression. God works in our heart. He grows us in that. And, uh, you know, I can just share from our family's experience. And, uh, you know, our, our daughter Kendra, and a lot of you are familiar with her and the sickness and the illness that she's uh, been dealing with. And it's like, you know, we kind of get up and, you know, have hope that this is the, the cure, this is the fix. And then, you know, yes, it alleviated some of the symptoms, but then it's, it's not all that we hoped for. But, you know, through all that, you know, we can look. You know, we can either uh, look at the situation and get discouraged. Because, uh, you know, I can look... <laughs> I can look at a picture on our nightstand. And it's a picture of Kendra. And just full of hopes and dreams. And You know, I can look at that and get discouraged. But then, you know, I can look at what God's done and what he's brought us through. You know, that every time the door seemed to be closed, time there seemed to be no hope, God opened another door. So it's, you know, I'm not to the point of Abraham, just, yes, Lord, but God's working in our family in a mighty way. And I think God's working in our body that way. You know, we've experienced a lot of trials, a lot of problems, and sorrows, you know. And, uh, you know, I really appreciated uh, Noreen's <laughs> caring bridge the other day. <clears throat> you could see that they were getting discouraged. But, you know, like David, you know, he started off his psalms with discouragement, but he always ended praising God. <laughs> And that's what Noreen did, you know. But we can praise God. We can praise God for the people who dedicated their lives to do this research. You know, this process could even be possible. You know, so God is teaching us. He's He's showing us to be patient in our sufferings. And you know that, uh, you know, you look at Job's life and what happened. He was doubly blessed. You know, he got the same amount of kids back, but that's because his other kids were with the Lord. He was doubly blessed. You know, and so things, when God puts us through troubles, it's because he's got, he's perfecting us, he's working on us, he's teaching us to, he's fitting us to be in his presence. He's uh, got a greater blessings for us. So, you know, we need to look to that and remember that. So... Let's uh, close in prayer. And, uh, Father, I just uh, thank you for, for your uh, great compassion and mercy, Lord. That uh, though we don't always understand, Lord, we know you have a purpose. You know, we know you have greater blessings in mind. And, Lord, sometimes we hold so tightly... Uh, to the things of this world uh, that as your word shows, Lord, it's, it's 
it can rot. It uh, does not last. It's temporal. But Lord, that you're preparing us for those eternal uh, treasures and those things of value in that we will experience when we're in your presence. And Lord, I do just ask that you would bless us as we uh, go through our week. Lord, as we go through the trials and the sufferings that you would remind us who you are remind us of your purpose that you would bring your word to our remembrance uh, that we can and should go through these trials and sufferings with joy lord knowing that you're in control that you have our our greater good in mind and lord i do lift up those that uh, may be present here today that uh, don't know you in a right way, a right, a right relationship. Lord, that you would uh, just uh, make their sin real to them, that you would bring uh, conviction to their heart. Lord, that you would help them to see that uh, sin, no matter how small, uh, brings separation and death and your judgment. And Lord, that you would help them to see that uh, you demand perfection as we see in Matthew chapter 5, verse 48, be therefore perfect as your Father in heaven is perfect. You know, it demands perfection to be in your presence, Lord. And that none of us have ever attained to that save one, and that was Jesus Christ, God in flesh who lived the perfect life and died on that cross for us to suffer the wrath that was due us. Lord, he took our punishment. He paid our sin, the price of our sin. And by placing faith in him and his sacrifice on that cross, that we can come into a right relationship with you, Lord. And Lord, that relationship with you may not be a bed of roses, and most often times it's not. But it will be when we are with you. And as we look forward to your coming, Lord, help us to live our lives, to apply our faith, to be patient in our trials and Lord that we would go forth and have a burden concern for the lost that do not know you and Lord not with a sense of arrogance or looking down on them Lord because we are the same as them we have only the only difference is Lord we have placed our faith in Christ so Lord I just ask that you would bless us bless our body and Lord, I do uh, lift up Woody and Noreen and Sarah in a special way, as we all here have been. And we praise you, Lord, for those positive uh, reports and uh, that uh, things look well. But, Lord, we just ask that you would bless them, that you would bring healing to Sarah's body. And, Lord, that she would be able to live a life which would be an honor and a glory to you. In Jesus Christ's holy name, amen.